Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The Visibility Factor podcast is brought to you in part by the 90-Day Visibility Breakthrough Accelerator Program. Do you believe deep down inside that you can have a bigger career, but you don't know how to get there? You can keep doing what you're doing, but what if there is a better way that could accelerate your progress? This 90-day program is a powerful experience that is unique to you and provides dedicated time to focus on your specific challenge. It gives you the time to develop big ideas and plans to execute them, including the tools, resources, and motivation needed for success. Hundreds of clients have used this same program to take them to the next level in their career and to create a better life. Join me in a 90-day experience that focuses on challenges like creating a strategic plan, how to lead an organizational change, or prepare for a career transition. This dedicated time will help you see new possibilities, recognize your strengths, and take away key insights that can be leveraged immediately. Are you ready to create a breakthrough for yourself? If you're interested in learning more, visit susanmbarber.com forward slash visibility breakthrough accelerator for more information and to sign up for the program. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. I'm thrilled today to bring you my guest, Trina Parham. She is a leadership consultant and strategist, but she has a really fascinating background before she got to this point that I'm excited for her to share all the things that she's learned along the way. So welcome to the show, Trina. Uh, Thanks, Sue, for having me. I'm excited to have our conversation today. Uh, Just our previous conversation was so insightful. I know that everyone's going to learn a lot from you today. So I'd love for you to give just a brief background of your experience and what you are doing in the world. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a leadership consultant and strategist. And so for me, that means a couple of things. On the one side, I coach women leaders around burnout and how to recover from burnout and how to work in a way that's sustainable long-term. So most clients, when they come to me, they're on the brink of burnout or they're right at that point. And so the work I do with them is helping them through that process and figuring out ways and paths to work more sustainably. And on the other side of the work that I do focuses on organizations and social impact companies, helping them to essentially create workplaces where people want to work. And so the work that I do with them is around how to retain talent, reduce conflict, restructuring, things like that so that the organization is more people first and focuses more on the needs of the staff. So that's the work that I'm doing right now. Wow. A place that people want to work. How exciting, right? Absolutely. (laughs) It's so important because I realized, you know, even on this path with burnout and all those things, everyone's not meant to be an entrepreneur. And so I really believe that it's important to create workplaces that are supportive and equitable and a place that people just want to be since they're there eight hours a day, whether they're working from home, hybrid in the office, it doesn't matter. Okay. So let's go back in, in your career a little bit first, because I know there's a lot of great things that you've done before becoming a leadership consultant and strategist. Can you talk about the transitions that you went through? Because you started out in social work, then you did relationship coaching, and now you're in this world. 
And a lot of people, I think, are scared, you know, are a little apprehensive to take a big transition change like that. So how did you navigate that as you went through those processes of thinking, I'm going to try something different? So um, as you mentioned, my background is in social work. Um, I have a master's in social work. And so from there, I primarily worked in the nonprofit space, but I also, um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer you know, early on. And then I live in New York City. So, you know, lots of government opportunities here. So I was a grant writer for a while. Um, and then I went to city government and I worked in the Department of Education. And so while I was there, um, I also worked in child welfare as a consultant. Um, a lot of the early part of my career, I worked with survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And then that really morphed into um really this idea of thinking about um, how I could do other work that wasn't necessarily like direct focus. So I'm like, well, what else can I, can I focus in on? And I ended up working in city government for almost 10 years. And in that time, I had a lot of leadership opportunities. I coached principals. I worked with nonprofit organizations that came in to work with, with the school districts. So I did a lot of work and I saw a lot of dynamics, not only in the schools, but in, you know, in the machine of city government. And if you know anything about it, it can be a sharp tank. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics in city government. And so, um, I learned a lot. Um, I met some of the best people I'd ever worked with, but I also saw a lot of, a lot of things that made me upset or, you know, and a lot of the coworkers that I had that really struggled in their work. But the other thing that I knew was I wanted to create something of my own. And so I had always been talking about about relationships. And I had a blog about, I had a dating blog that I was just talking about all these sorts of things. And so, um, I had the inkling pretty early on that I wanted to step out of traditional work. I just didn't know exactly what that meant. You know, I didn't grow up with nobody. in My family was really an entrepreneur. I had a couple of relatives who might've had businesses on the side, but it wasn't like a huge thing. And so I, I think from what I saw, even though I enjoyed the work that I was doing, I could get bored really easily. And so I, I wanted another outlet for my creativity. And I would, I'm also a writer, so I love to write. And so I was trying to figure all this out. How could I create something else? And so that led to my my dating and love coaching business that I ended up doing full time. But it started while I was working in, in government. And so what I realized through that work was that there were so many parallels because this idea of relationships, it's really all the same thing, whether it's your relationship with your, your partner or who you're dating or the relationship you have with your boss or your colleagues. So many of the dynamics that one person deals with is the same because how you do one thing is often how you do other things. And so I started to see those connections. And then also I, I was really interested in, you know, how I I was being treated. Now, I've always been a very, um, I wouldn't say outgoing, but uh, you know, I have very strong boundaries. And so, you know, that created a lot of tension for me often with, with leaders or bosses, but, you know, I was very intent on standing my ground and doing things that I felt were right. And so a lot of times in those types of scenarios, people don't like pushback. They don't like when people say no, they don't like when people speak up for themselves. And so that was something that was really important to my identity and that a lot of colleagues and peers would ask me how I was doing that. And so this is something that stuck with me throughout that process. Fast forward, I ended up being in that love coaching business full time. 
And I've been doing it for so long. When I got to the end, uh, I realized, oh, I was ready to do something else. I just didn't know what. And so I decided, you know, well, I need to go back to work until I figure it out. So I ended up working at a very large nonprofit in the city and moved up pretty quickly. And so being a part of that leadership team, again, I learned a lot. Um, I saw a lot. I experienced a lot. And that led to uh, burnout. And so that happened just before COVID started. And so um, what ended up happening was what I thought was going to be three months of leave turned into a year and a half career break. And so during that time, I had a lot of time to, to rest and recuperate and reflect on what was happening next. And mind you, this is, this is happening alongside of COVID when lots of people were staying home and really considering or reconsidering how they were working. And so I had a couple of colleagues who I used to work with um, who came to me for coaching And so I started coaching them and I said, oh, I was ready to get back to work and start working again. And I knew it was going to be my own business, but I was still not exactly sure how that was going to look. And so when I started coaching those folks, I was like, oh, this is good. This is where I want to be. And it made me realize that the work that I did in my professional you know, my day jobs with my business and my relationship coaching experience, it was like it all came together. All the things that I really cared about came together. And so that's really how my business got started. As I started coaching folks one-on-one, it became more clear that the challenge was burnout. And so initially it started with how do you work in a way that's sustainable? How do you not burn the candle at both ends and you're always thinking about work all the time and you can't turn it off even when you're having a barbecue with your family. So I was thinking about that, but it's like, I really got to the point of when you're at that place of burnout, how do you get through it when you are on this career track that maybe you've been planning for your entire career and you reach the pinnacle and it's like, okay, now what? This isn't what I thought it was. It doesn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. And I don't have any more gas in the tank to do this thing. So I started that, that process and also knowing that I needed to work with the organizations where people work because it's not enough you know, to recover from burnout. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Burnout doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so my knowledge of organizations and nonprofits over the years, I'm like, I had amassed a lot of knowledge, experience, information, strategies. So I decided to roll out another component of my business that focuses on the organization to really equip them with the the strategies and tools and systems and structures that they needed to support their people more. I mean, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a long journey, right? (laughs) So you talked about your own experience of burnout. I'm curious, somebody might be going through that and, and doesn't realize that that's what's happening for them. Is there a way that you can give them some, like if you are experiencing this top three things, um, and it may be different for everybody, I guess that could be true, right? It could be a different experience for each person, but are there three or four things that you see most people go through in terms of burnout? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's, It can show up in many different ways. I know one thing that often shows up for folks that showed up for me was when you start having trouble sleeping, when you get to the place where every Sunday night you have what they call the Sunday scaries and you, you have that anxiety and dread about going to work the next day. 
or you find yourself crying or having a meltdown in the bathroom because you don't want to be there. And also getting to the point where you, you can't concentrate. So I know one thing that used to happen for me was if I had to just send out a simple email, I would be looking at a blank screen for five minutes because I just couldn't get the words out. And it's that feeling of also you've maybe taken a mental health day, you've used up all of your vacation days and it doesn't feel like enough. So burnout is not just you just needing a rest or a mental health day. It's prolonged stress over a long period of time and you can feel the erosion mentally, physically, you know, it's, it's this kind of exhaustion and depletion that you can't seem to get rid of. And so if you're experiencing that and if you ask yourself, hmm, do I just need another vacation? Do I need another job or is there something else? If your answer is it's something else, chances are you're, wow. you're burnt out. So when you work with people who are experiencing this, you know, that you went through yourself, what are the things that you do to help them start to make that decision? Because it's got to be a huge decision. And like you said, they may not have vacation. They may not have any way to take extended leave. And I know that you and I talked about maybe sabbaticals or other ways to take time. What else do you tell them or help them with? Mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, I think for folks, so I work with leaders. So most of these folks are just below the C-suite. And so many of them do have probably more flexibility than other people. But if you don't, you know, there's always, you know, taking a sabbatical from work and some of those sabbaticals might not be paid, but at least you, you have your spot secured and you know, you can go back to work. So if there's, you know, if there's a way for you to begin saving, looking at your finances over a period of time. And, you know, even when I left, you know, I didn't leave right away. I spent a few months. I spent about four months not realizing I was just going to leave. I planned on quitting at some point, but I was getting my ducks lined up. So I was looking at my finances. I was talking to my partner about my plans. I was reconfiguring things on my team. I was redistributing work. You know, I was doing a lot of things to prepare myself for this. Now, there are some people who they just need to leave yesterday. And they're not going to have time to plan. But I think just knowing that this isn't a decision that you have to make today and you can make arrangements for yourself so that it is as stress-free as possible. So I think that's one part. The other thing that I think is really important is to take off as many extraneous tasks off your plate as much as possible. So if you are doing the extra thing at your kid's school, pull out of that. If there are things that, you know, how, what kind of supports can you get at home? Do you need to have people in your family stepping up more? Do you need to hire someone to clean your house? Do you need a meal service? You know, anything that frees up your time so that you can rest. And that also includes having better boundaries. So part of being able to recover from burnout is making as much what I call white space for yourself as possible. Space for you to, space for you to sit, relax, and do nothing. Because you need it to, to recover, to recuperate, to, to feel again, to connect to yourself. You know, all the things that are going to help you get back to who you were and, 
and not go back the way you came. Because I think it can be very tempting to recover from burnout and go right back into the situation or the work or the job that you stepped out of temporarily, only to be back in the same place in six months because you didn't really recover in the first place, or you didn't learn the tools to change things. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, because it's really easy. You go back and you just have the same, you do the same habits or the same ways of working that you did before, and you just get yourself right back into that situation. Mm -hmm. What are you helping like the leaders of these people start to think about? Because it's an organizational challenge that may or may not be seen by leaders or their, their managers or whoever they're working for. Are there things that those leaders can start to look for in their teams to recognize burnout before it gets too bad? Mm-hmm. So this is this is a really good question. And I think for a lot of leaders, one of the most important things that comes up a lot for people is around workload. And, and so when you see that you have one person taking on three jobs because either you can't afford to pay someone else or, you know, whatever the reason is, this is a huge sign that burnout is probably happening on your team. And so I, I think this, this goes to a much bigger issue around the growth of an organization and how much growth they can actually sustain or take on given the, um, the staff that they have. And so it's important to not let the bottom line or the goal supersede or be more important than the people who are actually doing the work. And so when I talk to organizations around being people first and how to create places where people want to work, this is something that becomes very important. If you know you don't have the capacity to take on the additional $5 million project or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You need to think about that. And a lot of times what organizations do is they, they take it on and ask questions later. And then they wonder why people are leaving because it happens over and over and over again and it's exhausting. So I think that's part of it. I think the other piece is around having equitable structures around pay and compensation, around promotions and you know all of those things that people are concerned about. They want to know that there's a clear path to those things. They want to know that it's fair and equitable. You know, all of those things matter. So are there things that people can start to think about different ways of working that are more sustainable? I know you mentioned boundaries as a big one, and I'm definitely seeing the benefit for a lot of my clients in putting more stronger boundaries into place. But is there something else that they could be thinking about when they're starting to feel like, oh, this is a little bit too much, that they can help themselves start to shift their behaviors? Um, I think one of the one thing that I would encourage people to do is to do an inventory or an audit of some sort of your relationships and how you're expending your energy. Because a lot of times... It might just be, you know, I had a client not too long ago who had a colleague who was always coming into her office, like telling her this new thing that was happening or her new challenge or her new issue. And then it turned into like a 30 minute conversation. And that was extremely draining for her because it was happening all the time. So she's dealing with burnout. She knows this is happening. And this colleague is coming to her all the time with these issues. And so one of the things that I told her was like, this is a conversation that you need to have with her to say, this is not something I can continue to do. And that makes people very uncomfortable hearing no. 
when you put up a boundary, when you say no, when you decide to engage or pivot away from how you used to engage with people, that can make other people angry and uncomfortable. But for your own preservation, those are the kinds of things that you have to do. And when you do something like that and you no longer engage in that kind of conversation, as an example, you start to call back your own energy. So that's one less thing that you have to worry about or think about. So that one email that maybe you're trying to get done, you no longer have to worry about this person racing into your office all the time and breaking your concentration. So even small things like that can really add up because the thing is you you have to start calling your energy back because oftentimes, especially for women leaders, when you get to this place of burnout, you are spent and your energy is being depleted in so many in so many ways by so many different people and, and responsibilities and tasks. And so when you start to pull that back to yourself, it's it's part of the way that you begin to recover. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love that because I don't think people realize how much of their energy is being sucked out of them by other people until they stop and Ooh. just Take a look around at the, you know, that whole Jim Rohn quote where it's like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, and that's really true to start to look at because I think there's a, I don't know, a statistic or something that managers and leaders get interrupted every eight minutes. So imagine every eight minutes you get interrupted and then it takes you eight minutes to get back to whatever it was you were doing. And then you get interrupted again in eight minutes. So it's just this never ending cycle. So I love that idea about looking at your energy and, I think it's the thing that I've seen is there's a lot of people pleasers out in the world. And so they worry about not being liked by putting up these boundaries. And for the people I'm coaching with, I've tried to talk to them about the importance of being respected. And that starts with you, right? Respecting yourself and recognizing that you have value and the things that you need to do are important too. And it's not everybody else's stuff that should come first. So there is some priorities that have to be made, but I think it's something that is a place to start, right? Looking at your energy is a great place to start for sure. Absolutely. And I always tell the women that I work with, when it comes to the workplace, being respected is more important than being liked. And it it can be triggering though, when you're so used to people pleasing Mm -hmm. and you're so used to saying yes all the time. And then the minute you say no, the feeling that you get, the guilt and the shame that comes up inside of you because you feel like you're not entitled to say no. You feel like you can't do it. And so when you feel like you want to jump in and change your mind to not do it and making that a practice because it, it, it will feel extremely uncomfortable the first few times you do it, but the more you do it, it does get easier. Yeah. Just breathe through it. <laughs> breathe through it, people. So you talk a little bit about creating thriving workplaces. What is it that you think people and and organizations you're working in that they need to do and shift to create a thriving workplace? Mm -hmm. So I I think I mentioned it earlier and it's for me, creating a people first organization. So I um, I have an ebook that I um, put out. It's called how to keep great people. And I share it with leaders of organizations. And the focus is really on um, how to be a people first organization. And essentially what that means is it doesn't mean that you can't hit your bottom line or your goals or your financial targets or whatever it is. It just means that the value that you place on your staff and the folks that are actually getting the work done is your priority. 
And, and particularly in the nonprofit world, you want your externally facing reputation to align with your internally facing reputation. So if you're an organization, and I see it so many times where they have a really good reputation in the community or in the media, but when you look at their glass door reviews, they're terrible. And when you speak to staff, it's like, this place is really stressful. Like there's all these things behind the scenes that nobody talks about. And so that's not the kind of organization you want to run. You want it to be in alignment. And so knowing that you're putting people first and by that, it means being willing to be flexible. You know, if this is a job that was done, you know, outside of the office and you know that people don't want to go back, that's not something you need to do. Just for the sake of, you know, needing to see what everyone's doing and looking over everyone's shoulder. You know, you don't need to do that. Also, you know, being equitable and being fair. If you know you have someone in your office that has been accused multiple times of either something that was racist or sexist or anything else that was offensive, they should be fired. So the idea, well, this person produces a lot of good work. Well, so what? Those people need to be let go. And I think it erodes trust in staff if those kinds of things aren't dealt with. So they don't, people don't necessarily want pizza parties or whatever it is. These are the kinds of things that organizations need to handle. And also, like I said, a clear path for promotion, you know, knowing that things are fair, knowing that one department isn't getting better treatment than the other. People want to be heard. They want to know that their opinions and their thoughts matter. They want to be validated. They want to know that you're asking for feedback and you're actually going to do something with it. It's not going to be shelved, you know, and then being asked the same questions a year later. They want to know that the information that they share with you about how to improve this place where they work and give all give so much time and energy to that they're going to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as listening taking action on what you heard and talking about it. And, and I think that's the part that is challenging for people. And maybe it's, you know, in some ways challenging because there's so much going on and everybody sees that there's so much work to do and they focus on that instead of looking at it from a higher perspective of, are we doing the right things for the organization? Are we helping to, you know, especially in the world we're in now where people are just leaving and not staying at a company, you need to do everything you can to help retain them and keep them engaged and help them grow and develop, you know, to your point earlier. So, yeah, I think if everybody can listen to what Trina just shared and start doing even a part of that, it will help them move in the right direction because you cannot succeed without your people. I mean, it, it's so true. Right. And, and believing that people want to do good work. I think sometimes there is a a thought process that people who that staff, they just want to take advantage or, and I'm like, that's not, that's not the truth. The truth is people want to contribute to something. They want to be a part of something. They want to do good work and they want to be paid well for the work that they do commiserate with experience and time and all of the things that they've given to you as an employer. So when you think about that and know that, Hey, I can, I can trust these people. And if I don't, and if something happens that we have as an organization, the structures and the systems in place to handle it. But that, that idea has to shift for a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations that this is, it's the right thing to do to, to take care of your people in the, in the best way that you can. Do you feel like that's coming from leaders who 
maybe insecure or don't feel like they know as much as maybe their teams know. And they're kind of acting out that insecurity in some way by saying, you know, my people don't know enough. My people can't do this. My people, you know, aren't great. Is it coming from that place or have you seen it come from somewhere else? I think that's part of it. I think it can be leaders who might feel a little insecure and might feel as though, you know, my people might know better than me, but that's a, that's a good thing. As the leader, you don't need to be the content expert in everything. That's why you have a team. And so when you let your team be their best, that means you get to be your best and you don't have to worry about that. And I, I also think it's just the systems that we're used to, right? We're used to these systems where, you know, it's a very top-down hierarchical approach. And it's like the leader says, whatever the leader says goes, it's the right thing all the time and that's it. And it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't take anything away from you as the leader because someone else is shining or has an idea or has questions about how things are functioning or if they're not working so well. And so taking the time to say, okay, how can I address this without making it personal, without making it about me? And and look, sometimes it might be a critique of you as a leader. And that's the chance that you take when you're in leadership position. People are going to critique you, but it can be done respectfully when you set that atmosphere Mm -hmm. of respect. Yeah. And I would much rather know that there's a problem. And, And, you know, to your point about where they can add value as leaders, instead of maybe doing the work of their team or getting in the weeds where they probably need to let their team just run and be empowered to do things. I hope everyone listening can start to assess for themselves. Are they in the weeds? Are they doing things that they don't need to be doing that their team should be doing and trusting them to do it? It may not be done in the way that you would do it, but you know, ultimately we're looking for the right outcome to happen here and trusting that that outcome is going to happen. Yeah. So I'm curious, how many companies are you working with or people are you working with where it's more acceptable now to be able to take time away, to be able to take, I'm hearing more people talk about sabbaticals nowadays than ever. And so I'm curious, are you seeing a lot of companies being very supportive of that in the companies that you're working with? I don't know if support is the word that I would use, but I think that companies are expecting it more and more. So lots of Lots more folks are going to HR asking for these opportunities. They're speaking to their bosses about how they can do this. And so I, I don't think we've quite turned the corner where companies in, in, in these institutions are supportive, but I think they will eventually get to that point. But I think I think more and more they're, they're knowing that people are coming to them with these requests. So that's what I'm seeing more than anything. So if somebody is feeling that way and they go to HR, is I've heard of, I've talked to a few people who have felt like they might be judged. Uh, they might, you know, go on some list somewhere that says this person's not doing well and have a chat with somebody in the organization and there's some fear around that. So is there some advice that you would give to people if they are feeling this and they're a little hesitant to go to HR, is that the best approach? Should they start with their manager first? You know, what's the right approach to take? Um, so first, let me say, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving anyone legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally understand. <laughs> I think it depends on the culture of your organization and the relationship that you have with various people 
um, in your organization. Now, I, I think it's important to know that HR is on the side of the organization. And by on their side, I mean, they're looking out for the organization's best interests. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. So that's, that's really important. So they're not allowed to retaliate against you if you decide that you need to take you know, a leave of some kind, or you're taking a sabbatical or anything like that. So if you have a good relationship with your manager and you feel like they're trustworthy and that they will be supportive in what you need to do, you know, have a conversation with them, let them know. But also that should not stop you from doing the thing that you need to do and having the official conversation with HR if you know you need to take a break or sabbatical of some kind. And I think for those folks who know, okay, if I talk to my manager and maybe it's not the best relationship or maybe they give you feedback where they try to stop you or don't want you to go, you still have the right to go to HR and request this and not even request or say, hey, I'm taking this time and how can we work this out because I'm going to be out for X amount of time. You have the right to do that. It might make them uncomfortable, but they're they shouldn't, they're not really allowed to just fire you because you're, you're saying I need to take time off, but find out where you work, you know, get the, get the information, ask, you know, what are the parameters around taking a break? You know, know what your rights are, you know, know what, know what the policies and procedures are for this. So before you, and I would even say before you have the conversation with your boss, if you, depending on the relationship there, you might want to get the information for yourself. So if you have an employee handbook or something like that, where it might enumerate the details of something like this, I would make sure that you know exactly what it says and exactly what you're entitled to. So that way, regardless of what they say in a, in a meeting or in a conversation, especially if you feel like they're backing you into a corner and don't want you to make that choice, know that you still can. And so it's really important to have the backing of the actual policies and procedures. Don't let them tell you something that you know might not be true. Know exactly what your rights are. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, everybody gets a handbook. They don't read it cover to cover, you know, every line (laughs) until they need something. And this is a great example of where you need to get into that section and read it in a little bit more depth. What other challenges are you seeing within organizations beyond some of the things we've talked about today? Are there other challenges that you're seeing that you would have advice for people to start to think about for themselves? Mm, I think there's there's a lot, I think, around, you know, this diversity, equity, and inclusion and how to operationalize that. I, I think a lot of organizations are struggling with that. And what I will say, although I'm not a DEI expert, I do think that a lot of organizations that have failed to get their initiatives off the ground often focus on the wrong pieces. And by that, I mean nine times out of 10, your organization If you're having DEI challenges, it's not because you need another training. It's because you haven't taken a look, a close look at the information that you already have. So if you work in an organization where you've done staff surveys and you've done exit interviews and you have all this data that you have not acted upon, most of the information that you need is already there. And a big mistake I see a lot of organizations make in this area is that they train the staff. They don't train the leaders. From my perspective, the issue around diversity, equity, inclusion is a leadership problem. It's a board problem. It's not a staff problem. 
So how do you look at your systems and your structures within your organization or company to attack and address some of these concerns that your staff is having? And I think employee resource groups and all those things are are great support. But what often happens in a lot of organizations is the work or the work of the DEI initiative will fall on that group of people who really don't have that much power in the organization. So that is the absolute wrong way to go. If you want to start looking at how you could have a more successful DEI initiative, look at the staff feedback and data you already have to make change. So I think that's one thing that I see um, a lot of organizations struggling with right now. Yeah, and that's a big one, right? I think there's so many different perspectives and opinions and everybody has them. But I think your simple advice of you already have stuff, start looking at that and start taking some action towards it. And it's not just at one level of the organization, but across the board, everybody has to come together to make this successful. Absolutely. So I love that. And I think in tandem with that is looking at tone, climate and culture of your organization. And this is another piece of the work that I do with organizations is looking at tone, climate and culture, you know, how, how people are allowed to speak to each other whether that's an email or in meetings, are people allowed to just scream at people and then act like nothing happened? I mean, what are the, what are the cultural norms in the office or around, again, around meetings and emails, you know, all of that, what are people allowed to get away with? Who can get away with it? Who can get away with that? And who can't, you know, even just addressing those kinds of things that I assure you have come up in some form or another in some kind of feedback somewhere, those are all things that you can begin to, to tackle. And I think one challenge a lot of organizations have is when they get all of this feedback, they see that they can have entire documents of things that need to be fixed and it can feel extremely overwhelming. And so what I recommend that folks do is you just take one or two things that you will commit to practicing and fixing over the next six months to a year. So yes, you might have 10 things that you need to work on, but if you get one thing right, it's going to make a big difference. Right. Where's the biggest return on your investment? Where's the, you know, even some low hanging fruit that can start to show that you're hearing and making a difference in the organization for people. I love the one where you talk about, you know, just the tone and culture is such a big piece that I think people normalize after a certain period of time that that's just the way we do things around here instead of saying that is actually not right. (laughs) We shouldn't be doing that. Uh, But it's, I think, a little more challenging when it's a senior team and those people are the ones, you know, setting the tone. And if that's the tone that's been set, others have been given permission now to do the same. So I love that your work is kind of looking at that, right? And helping them see that that's maybe a better way to do it differently. Absolutely. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, these are the kinds of things that that people want to know are being addressed. So you don't need to, and look, I'm, I'm all about giving raises and bonuses and things like that. You know, that's really important, but so is how people are treated, how you talk to them. That really matters. That impacts people's mental health in all kinds of ways. It impacts when people come to work and they feel like they're so stressed out and overwhelmed and don't want to be there because they're afraid of this interaction they're going to have with someone. So when you're looking at things to target, again, you don't need another training per se. You just need to address what is the tone in the office and then what are the repercussions for certain behavior. Oh my gosh. could talk about this all day with you, Trina. <laughs> uh, you have shared so much great, great ideas and tips and 
Uh, I know that um, I'm going to share the link for your book um, as well, because I think that could be a good start for people to, you know, just start reading your ebook and, and understand where some opportunities are to shift some things in a different way. I'm going to shift us into what I call the rise up and be visible quick tips. So these are four questions I ask every guest. And so the first one is visibility is if you can fill in the blank and tell me why you responded that way. Mm. Visibility is being seen and being comfortable in your own skin while you are being seen. And so feeling like you can be who you are, whatever that means as a professional, just personally, and being okay with that, being okay with whatever Mm -hmm. response you get to you being who you really are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Wouldn't that be amazing if everybody got to do that every day? (laughs) It kind of changed the world if we could all do that. How are you being visible? I am being visible not only by having conversations like this with you and putting my work out there, but also being visible with my family and my friends. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm struggling or having a hard time, I think one of the, the things that I've learned having gone through burnout the way that I have is to not suffer in silence. And so I allow my vulnerabilities to be seen and that with the people who I love and who love me, that, that is visibility for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I'm all about vulnerability as much as you can and feel comfortable with. Um, because I think there's so many people that just hold so much stuff in and don't talk about it and then they struggle and nobody knows and that's not good for them. So I love that you're doing that. What is the best leadership or career advice you've received? Mm, It's, it was a, it was a bittersweet advice, but when I worked in city government, someone said to me, um, the same people you see on the way up are the same people you're going to see on the way down. <laughs> so be mindful of how you treat people. And I mean, I feel like I've always treated people right, but there was something about that advice that just really stuck with me around how I, how I work with people regardless of what level they're on, what level I'm on, and to be mindful of that. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> I've heard the same. <laughs> And last question, what is a book you would recommend to the audience? Mm, a book that I would recommend to the audience. Um, I think it's a book that I recommend to everyone is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I, I feel like mm. it's mm-hmm. it's one of, that, of, of success and just knowing and figuring out your path and knowing who you are. And I think as... As leaders, as anyone in the workplace, I think the thing that anchors you in hard times and difficult moments and challenging conversations is knowing who you are, knowing who you are and being able to stand your ground when things get really tough. And it doesn't mean that you can't change your mind or have different opinions or things like that, but it it can be tough. And I think even especially when you're dealing with something like burnout, just remembering Mm -hmm. to be able to come home to yourself and knowing who you are. Um, I feel like that book just represents that so well. So that's what I would recommend. I love that book. I thought it was really great. And I, I don't know, somebody uh, recommended it to me. And I thought, how come I not have read this book already? And I actually quoted him in the in the book of, of The Visibility Factor because I thought there were so many important points that he raised that I just wanted to share them with the, with the readers. So thank you for being here. 
Thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm so glad that you found your way into this work because right now, more than ever, what you are doing is helping organizations succeed, helping leaders succeed in a bigger way. And it is so needed uh, in, in the world we have today. So thank you for what you're doing and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Yes, it was. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast. And I will share all of Trina's links and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.